Chapter Three of Anne of Geierstein by Sir Walter Scott. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Cursed be the gold and silver which persuade weak men to follow far fatiguing trade. The lily, peace, outshines the silver store, and life is dearer than the golden ore yet money tempts us o'er the desert brown to every distant mart and wealthy town hassan or the hamel driver arthur philipson and anne of geierstein thus placed together in a situation which brought them into the closest possible contiguity felt a slight degree of embarrassment the young man doubtless from the fear of being judged a poltroon in the eyes of the maiden by whom he had been rescued and the young woman perhaps in consequence of the exertion she had made or a sense of being placed suddenly in a situation of such proximity to the youth whose life she had probably saved and now maiden said arthur i must repair to my father the life which i owe to your assistance can scarce be called welcome to me unless i am permitted to hasten to his rescue he was here interrupted by another bugle-blast which seemed to come from the quarter in which the elder philipson and his guide had been left by their young and daring companion arthur looked in that direction but the platform which he had seen but imperfectly from the tree when he was perched in that place of refuge was invisible from the rock on which they now stood it would cost me nothing to step back on yonder route said the young woman to spy from thence whether i could see aught of your friends but i am convinced they are under safer guidance than either yours or mine for the horn announces that my uncle or some of my young kinsmen have reached them they are by this time on their way to the geierstein to which with your permission i will become your guide for you may be assured that my uncle arnold will not allow you to pass farther to-day and we shall but lose time by endeavouring to find your friends who situated where you say you left them will reach the geierstein sooner than we shall follow me then or i must suppose you weary of my guidance sooner suppose me weary of the life which your guidance has in all probability saved replied arthur and prepared to attend her at the same time taking a view of her dress and person which confirmed the satisfaction he had in following such a conductor and which we shall take the liberty to detail somewhat more minutely than he could do at that time an upper vest neither so close as to display the person a habit forbidden by the sumptuary laws of the canton nor so loose as to be an encumbrance in walking or climbing 
covered a close tunic of a different colour and came down beneath the middle of the leg but suffered the ankle in all its fine proportions to be completely visible the foot was defended by a sandal the point of which was turned upwards and the crossings and knots of the strings which secured it on the front of the leg were garnished with silver rings the upper vest was gathered round the middle by a sash of party-coloured silk ornamented with twisted threads of gold while the tunic open at the throat permitted the shape and exquisite whiteness of a well-formed neck to be visible at the collar and for an inch or two beneath the small portion of the throat and bosom thus exposed was even more brilliantly fair than was promised by the countenance which last bore some marks of having been freely exposed to the sun and air by no means in a degree to diminish its beauty but just so far as to show that the maiden possessed the health which is purchased by habits of rural exercise her long fair hair fell down in a profusion of curls on each side of a face whose blue eyes lovely features and dignified simplicity of expression implied at once a character of gentleness and of the self-relying resolution of a mind too virtuous to suspect evil and too noble to fear it above these locks beauty's natural and most beseeming ornament or rather i should say amongst them was placed the small bonnet which from its size little answered the purpose of protecting the head but served to exercise the ingenuity of the fair wearer who had not failed according to the prevailing custom of the mountain maidens to decorate the tiny cap with a heron's feather and the then unusual luxury of a small and thin chain of gold long enough to encircle the cap four or five times and having the ends secured under a broad metal of the same costly metal i have only to add that the stature of the young person was something above the common size and that the whole contour of her form without being in the slightest degree masculine resembled that of minerva rather than the proud beauties of juno or the yielding graces of venus the noble brow the well-formed and active limbs the firm and yet light step above all the total absence of anything resembling the consciousness of personal beauty and the open and candid look which seemed desirous of knowing nothing that was hidden and conscious that she herself had nothing to hide were traits not unworthy of the goddess of wisdom and of chastity the road which the young englishman pursued under the guidance of this beautiful young woman was difficult and unequal but could not be termed dangerous at least in comparison to those precipices over which arthur had recently passed it was in fact a continuation of the path which the slip or slide of earth so often mentioned 
had interrupted and although it had sustained damage in several places at the period of the same earthquake yet there were marks of these having been already repaired in such a rude manner as made the way sufficient for the necessary intercourse of a people so indifferent as the swiss to smooth or level paths the maiden also gave arthur to understand that the present road took a circuit for the purpose of gaining that on which he was lately travelling and that if he and his companions had turned off at the place where this new track united with the old pathway they would have escaped the danger which had attended their keeping the road by the verge of the precipice the path which they now pursued was rather averted from the torrent though still within hearing of its sullen thunders which seemed to increase as they ascended parallel to its course till suddenly the road turning short and directing itself straight upon the old castle brought them within sight of one of the most splendid and awful scenes of that mountainous region the ancient tower of geierstein though neither extensive nor distinguished by architectural ornament possessed an air of terrible dignity by its position on the very verge of the opposite bank of the torrent which just at the angle of the rock on which the ruins are situated falls sheer over a cascade of nearly a hundred feet in height and then rushes down the defile through a trough of living rock which perhaps its waves have been deepening since time itself had a commencement facing and at the same time looking down upon this eternal roar of waters stood the old tower built so close to the verge of the precipice that the buttresses with which the architect had strengthened the foundation seemed a part of the solid rock itself and a continuation of its perpendicular ascent as usual throughout europe in the feudal times the principal part of the building was a massive square pile the decayed summit of which was rendered picturesque by flanking turrets of different sizes and heights some round some angular some ruinous some tolerably entire varying the outline of the building as seen against the stormy sky a projecting sally-port descending by a flight of steps from the tower had in former times given access to a bridge connecting the castle with that side of the stream on which arthur phillipson and his fair guide now stood a single arch or rather one rib of an arch consisting of single stones still remained and spanned the river immediately in front of the waterfall in former times this arch had served for the support of a wooden drawbridge of more convenient breadth and of such length and weight as must have been rather unmanageable had it not been lowered on some solid resting-place it is true the device was attended with this inconvenience that even when the drawbridge was up 
there remained a possibility of approaching the castle gate by means of this narrow rib of stone but as it was not above eighteen inches broad and could only admit the daring foe who should traverse it to a doorway regularly defended by gate and portcullis and having flanked turrets and projections from which stones darts melted lead and scalding water might be poured down on the soldiery who should venture to approach geierstein by this precarious access the possibility of such an attempt was not considered as diminishing the security of the garrison in the time we treat of the castle being entirely ruined and dismantled and the door drawbridge and portcullis gone the dilapidated gateway and the slender arch which connected the two sides of the stream were used as a means of communication between the banks of the river by the inhabitants of the neighbourhood whom habit had familiarized with the dangerous nature of the passage arthur phillipson had in the meantime like a good bow when new strong regained the elasticity of feeling and character which was natural to him it was not indeed with perfect composure that he followed his guide as she tripped lightly over the narrow arch composed of rugged stones and rendered wet and slippery with the perpetual drizzle of the mist issuing from the neighbouring cascade nor was it without apprehension that he found himself performing this perilous feat in the neighbourhood of the waterfall itself whose deafening roar he could not exclude from his ears though he took care not to turn his head towards its terrors lest his brain should again be dizzied by the tumult of the waters as they shot forward from the precipice above and plunged themselves into what seemed the fathomless gulf below but notwithstanding these feelings of agitation the natural shame to show cowardice where a beautiful young female exhibited so much indifference and the desire to regain his character in the eyes of his guide prevented arthur from again giving way to the appalling feelings by which he had been overwhelmed a short time before stepping firmly on yet cautiously supporting himself with his piked staff he traced the light footsteps of his guide along the bridge of dread and followed her through the ruined sally-port to which they ascended by stairs which were equally dilapidated the gateway admitted them into a mass of ruins formerly a sort of courtyard to the donjon which rose in gloomy dignity above the wreck of what had been works destined for external defence or buildings for internal accommodation they quickly passed through these ruins over which vegetation had thrown a wild mantle of ivy and other creeping shrubs and issued from them through the main gate of the castle into one of those spots in which nature often embosoms her sweetest charms in the midst of districts chiefly characterized by waste and desolation 
the castle in this aspect also rose considerably above the neighbouring ground but the elevation of the site which towards the torrent was an abrupt rock was on this side a steep eminence which had been scarped like a modern glacis to render the building more secure it was now covered with young trees and bushes out of which the tower itself seemed to rise in ruined dignity beyond this hanging thicket the view was of a very different character a piece of ground amounting to more than a hundred acres seemed scooped out of the rocks and mountains which retaining the same savage character with the tract in which the travellers had been that morning bewildered enclosed and as it were defended a limited space of a mild and fertile character the surface of this little domain was considerably varied but its general aspect was a gentle slope to the southwest the principal object which it presented was a large house composed of huge logs without any pretence to form or symmetry but indicating by the smoke which arose from it as well as the extent of the neighbouring offices and the improved and cultivated character of the fields around that it was the abode not of splendour certainly but of ease and competence an orchard of thriving fruit-trees extended to the southward of the dwelling groves of walnut and chestnut grew in stately array and even a vineyard of three or four acres showed that the cultivation of the grape was understood and practised it is now universal in switzerland but was in those early days almost exclusively confined to a few more fortunate proprietors who had the rare advantage of uniting intelligence with opulent or at least easy circumstances there were fair ranges of pasture fields into which the fine race of cattle which constitute the pride and wealth of the swiss mountaineers had been brought down from the more alpine grazings where they had fed during the summer to be near shelter and protection when the autumnal storms might be expected on some selected spots the lambs of the last season fed in plenty and security and in others huge trees the natural growth of the soil were suffered to remain from motives of convenience probably that they might be at hand when timber was required for domestic use but giving at the same time a woodland character to a scene otherwise agricultural through this mountain paradise the course of a small brook might be traced now showing itself to the sun which had by this time dispelled the fogs now intimating its course by its gently sloping banks clothed in some places with lofty trees or concealing itself under thickets of hawthorn and nut-bushes this stream by a devious and gentle course which seemed to indicate a reluctance to leave this quiet region found its way at length out of the sequestered domain and like a youth hurrying from the gay and tranquil sports of boyhood into the wild 
career of active life finally united itself with the boisterous torrent which breaking down tumultuously from the mountains shook the ancient tower of geierstein as it rolled down the adjacent rock and then rushed howling through the defile in which our youthful traveller had well-nigh lost his life eager as the younger philipson was to rejoin his father he could not help pausing for a moment to wonder how so much beauty should be found amid such scenes of horror and to look back on the tower of geierstein and on the huge cliff from which it derived its name as if to ascertain by the sight of these distinguished landmarks that he was actually in the neighbourhood of the savage wild where he had encountered so much danger and terror yet so narrow were the limits of this cultivated farm that it hardly required such a retrospect to satisfy the spectator that the spot susceptible of human industry and on which it seemed that a considerable degree of labour had been bestowed bore a very small proportion to the wilderness in which it was situated it was on all sides surrounded by lofty hills in some places rising into walls of rock in others clothed with dark and savage forests of the pine and the larch of primeval antiquity above these from the eminence on which the tower was situated could be seen the almost rosy hue in which an immense glacier threw back the sun and still higher over the frozen surface of that icy sea arose in silent dignity the pale peaks of those countless mountains on which the snow eternally rests what we have taken some time to describe occupied young philipson only for one or two hurried minutes for on a sloping lawn which was in front of the farmhouse as the mansion might properly be styled he saw five or six persons the foremost of whom from his gait his dress and the form of his cap he could easily distinguish as the parent whom he hardly expected at one time to have again beheld he followed therefore his conductress with a glad step as she led the way down the steep ascent on which the ruined tower was situated they approached the group whom arthur had noticed the foremost of which was his father who hastily came forward to meet him in company with another person of advanced age and stature well-nigh gigantic and who from his simple yet majestic bearing seemed the worthy countryman of william tell stauffacher and winkelried and other swiss worthies whose stout hearts and hardy arms had in the preceding age vindicated against countless hosts their personal liberty and the independence of their country with a natural courtesy as if to spare the father and son many witnesses to a meeting which must be attended with emotion the landamman himself in walking forward with the elder philipson 
signed to those by whom he was attended all of whom seemed young men to remain behind they remained accordingly examining as it seemed the guide antonio upon the adventures of the strangers and the conductress of arthur philipson had but time to say to him yonder old man is my uncle arnold biederman and these young men are my kinsmen when the former with the elder traveller were close before them the landamman with the same propriety of feeling which he had before displayed signed to his niece to move a little aside yet while requiring from her an account of her morning's expedition he watched the interview of the father and son with as much curiosity as his natural sense of complacence permitted him to testify it was of a character different from what he had expected we have already described the elder philipson as a father devotedly attached to his son ready to rush on death when he had expected to lose him and equally overjoyed at heart doubtless to see him again restored to his affections it might have been therefore expected that the father and son would have rushed into each other's arms and such probably was the scene which arnold biederman expected to have witnessed but the english traveller in common with many of his countrymen covered keen and quick feelings with much appearance of coldness and reserve and thought it a weakness to give unlimited sway even to the influence of the most amiable and most natural emotions eminently handsome in youth his countenance still fine in his more advanced years had an expression which intimated an unwillingness either to yield to passion or encourage confidence his pace when he first beheld his son had been quickened by the natural wish to meet him but he slackened it as they drew near to each other and when they met said in a tone rather of censure and admonition than affection arthur may the saints forgive the pain thou hast this day given me amen said the youth i must need pardon since i have given you pain believe however that i acted for the best it is well arthur that in acting for the best according to your forward will you have not encountered the worst that i have not answered the son with the same devoted and patient submission is owing to this maiden pointing to anne who stood at a few paces distance desirous perhaps of avoiding to witness the reproof of the father which might seem to her rather ill-timed and unreasonable to the maiden my thanks shall be rendered said his father when i can study how to pay them in an adequate manner but is it well or comely think you that you should receive from a maiden the succour which it is your duty as a man to extend to the weaker sex arthur held down his head and blushed deeply while arnold biederman sympathizing with his feelings stepped forward and mingled in the conversation 
never be abashed my young guest that you have been indebted for aught of counsel or assistance to a maiden of unterwalden know that the freedom of their country owes no less to the firmness and wisdom of her daughters than to that of her sons and you my elder guest who have i judge seen many years and various lands must have often known examples how the strong are saved by the help of the weak the proud by the aid of the humble i have at least learned said the englishman to debate no point unnecessarily with the host who has kindly harboured me and after one glance at his son which seemed to kindle with the fondest affection he resumed as the party turned back towards the house a conversation which he had been maintaining with his new acquaintance before arthur and the maiden had joined them arthur had in the meantime an opportunity of observing the figure and features of their swiss landlord which i have already hinted exhibited a primeval simplicity mixed with a certain rude dignity arising out of its masculine and unaffected character the dress did not greatly differ in form from the habit of the female which we have described it consisted of an upper frock shaped like the modern shirt and only open at the bosom worn above a tunic or under doublet but the man's vest was considerably shorter in the skirts which did not come lower down than the kilt of the scottish highlander a species of boots or buskins rose above the knee and the person was thus entirely clothed a bonnet made of the fur of the marten and garnished with a silver medal was the only part of the dress which displayed anything like ornament the broad belt which gathered the garment together was of buff leather secured by a large brass buckle but the figure of him who wore this homely attire which seemed almost wholly composed of the fleeces of the mountain sheep and the spoils of animals of the chase would have commanded respect wherever the wearer had presented himself especially in those warlike days when men were judged of according to the promising or unpromising qualities of their thews and sinews to those who looked at arnold biederman from this point of view he displayed the size and form the broad shoulders and prominent muscles of a hercules but to such as looked rather at his countenance the steady sagacious features open front large blue eyes and deliberate resolution which it expressed more resembled the character of the fabled king of gods and men he was attended by several sons and relatives young men among whom he walked receiving as his undeniable due respect and obedience similar to that which a herd of deer are observed to render to the monarch stag while arthur biederman walked and spoke with the elder stranger the young men seemed closely to scrutinize arthur and occasionally interrogated in whispers their relation anne receiving from her brief and impatient answers which rather excited 
than appeased the vein of merriment in which the mountaineers indulged very much as it seemed to the young englishman at the expense of their guest to feel himself exposed to derision was not softened by the reflection that in such a society it would probably be attached to all who could not tread on the edge of a precipice with a step as firm and undismayed as if they walked the street of a city however unreasonable ridicule may be it is always unpleasing to be subjected to it but more particularly it is distressing to a young man where beauty is a listener it was some consolation to arthur that he thought the maiden certainly did not enjoy the jest and seemed by word and look to reprove the rudeness of her companions but this he feared was only from a sense of humanity she too must despise me he thought though civility unknown to these ill-taught boors has enabled her to conceal contempt under the guise of pity she can but judge of me from that which she has seen if she could know me better such was his proud thought she might perhaps rank me more highly as the travellers entered the habitation of arnold biederman they found preparations made in a large apartment which served the purpose of general accommodation for a homely but plentiful meal a glance round the walls showed the implements of agriculture and the chase but the eyes of the elder philipson rested upon a leathern corselet a long heavy halberd and a two-handed sword which were displayed as a sort of trophy near these but covered with dust unfurbished and neglected hung a helmet with a visor such as was used by knights and men-at-arms the golden garland or coronal twisted around it though sorely tarnished indicated noble birth and rank and the crest which was a vulture of the species which gave name to the old castle and its adjacent cliff suggested various conjectures to the english guest who acquainted in a great measure with the history of the swiss revolution made little doubt that in this relic he saw some trophy of the ancient warfare between the inhabitants of these mountains and the feudal lord to whom they had of yore appertained a summons to the hospitable board disturbed the train of the english merchants reflections and a large company comprising the whole inhabitants of every description that lived under biederman's roof sat down to a plentiful repast of goat's flesh fish preparations of milk of various kinds cheese and for the upper mess the venison of a young chamois the landamman himself did the honours of the table with great kindness and simplicity and urged the strangers to show by their appetite that they thought themselves as welcome as he desired to make them during the repast he carried on a conversation with his elder guest 
while the younger people at table as well as the menials ate in modesty and silence ere the dinner was finished a figure crossed on the outside of the large window which lighted the eating-hall the sight of which seemed to occasion a lively sensation amongst such as observed it who passed said old biederman to those seated opposite to the window it is our cousin rudolph of donnerhugel answered one of arnold's sons eagerly the annunciation seemed to give great pleasure to the younger part of the company especially the sons of the landamman while the head of the family only said with a grave calm voice your kinsman is welcome tell him so and let him come hither two or three arose for this purpose as if there had been a contention among them who should do the honours of the house to the new guest he entered presently a young man unusually tall well proportioned and active with a quantity of dark brown locks curling around his face together with moustaches of the same or rather a still darker hue his cap was small considering the quantity of his thickly clustering hair and rather might be said to hang upon one side of his head than to cover it his clothes were of the same form and general fashion as those of arnold but made of much finer cloth the manufacture of the german loom and ornamented in a rich and fanciful manner one sleeve of his vest was dark green curiously laced and embroidered with devices in silver while the rest of the garment was scarlet his sash was twisted and netted with gold and besides answering the purpose of a belt by securing the upper garment round his waist sustained a silver hilted poniard his finery was completed by boots the tips of which were so long as to turn upwards with a peak after a prevailing fashion in the middle ages a golden chain hung round his neck and sustained a large medallion of the same metal this young gallant was instantly surrounded by the race of biedermann among whom he appeared to be considered as the model upon which the swiss youth ought to build themselves and whose gait opinions dress and manners all ought to follow who would keep pace with the fashion of the day in which he reigned an acknowledged and unrivalled example by two persons in the company however it seemed to arthur phillipson that this young man was received with less distinguished marks of regard than those with which he was hailed by the general voice of the youths present arnold biederman himself was at least no way warm in welcoming the young bernese for such was rudolph's country the young man drew from his bosom a sealed packet which he delivered to the landamman with demonstrations of great respect and seemed to expect that arnold when he had broken the seal and perused the contents would say something to him on the subject but the patriarch only bade him be seated and partake of their meal 
and rudolph found a place accordingly next to anne of geierstein which was yielded to him by one of the sons of arnold with ready courtesy it seemed also to the observant young englishman that the newcomer was received with marked coldness by the maiden to whom he appeared eager and solicitous to pay his compliments by whose side he had contrived to seat himself at the well-furnished board and to whom he seemed more anxious to recommend himself than to partake of the food which it offered he observed the gallant whisper her and look towards him anne gave a very brief reply but one of the young Biedermans, who sat on his other hand was probably more communicative as the youths both laughed and the maiden again seemed disconcerted and blushed with displeasure had i either of these sons of the mountain thought young philipson upon six yards of level greensward if there be so much flat ground in this country methinks i were more likely to spoil their mirth than to furnish food for it it is as marvellous to see such conceited boors under the same roof with so courteous and amiable a damsel as it would be to see one of their shaggy bears dance a rigadoon with a maiden like the daughter of our host well i need not concern myself more than i can help about her beauty or their breeding since morning will separate me from them for ever as these reflections passed through the young guest's mind the father of the family called for a cup of wine and having required the two strangers to pledge him in a maple cup of considerable size he sent a similar goblet to rudolph donnerhugel yet you he said kinsman are used to more highly flavoured wine than the half-ripened grapes of geierstein can supply would you think it sir merchant he continued addressing philipson there are burghers of bern who send for wine for their own drinking both to france and germany my kinsman disapproves of that replied rudolph yet every place is not blessed with vineyards like geierstein which produces all that heart and eye can desire this was said with a glance at his fair companion who did not appear to take the compliment while the envoy of bern proceeded but our wealthier burghers having some superfluous crowns think it no extravagance to barter them for a goblet of better wine than our own mountains can produce but we will be more frugal when we have at our disposal tunes of the wine of burgundy for the mere trouble of transporting them how mean you by that cousin rudolph said arnold biederman methinks respected kinsman answered the bernese your letters must have told you that our diet is likely to declare war against burgundy ah and you know then the contents of my letters said arnold another mark how times are changed at bern and with the diet of switzerland when did all her grey-haired statesmen die that our allies should have brought beardless boys into their councils the senate of bern and the diet of the confederacy said the young man partly abashed 
partly in vindication of what he had before spoken allow the young men to know their purposes since it is they by whom they must be executed the head which thinks may well confide in the hand that strikes not till the moment of dealing the blow young man said arnold biederman sternly what kind of counsellor is he who talks loosely the secrets of state affairs before women and strangers go rudolph and all of ye and try by manly exercises which is best fitted to serve your country rather than give your judgment upon her measures hold young man he continued addressing arthur who had risen this does not apply to you who are unused to mountain travel and require rest after it under your favour sir not so said the elder stranger we hold in england that the best refreshment after we have been exhausted by one species of exercise is to betake ourselves to another as riding for example affords more relief to one fatigued by walking than a bed of down would so if your young men will permit my son will join their exercises he will find them rough playmates answered the switzer but be it at your pleasure the young men went out accordingly to the open lawn in front of the house anne of geierstein and some females of the household sat down on a bank to judge which performed best and shouts loud laughing and all that announces the riot of juvenile spirits occupied by manly sports was soon after heard by the two seniors as they sat together in the hall the master of the house resumed the wine-flask and having filled the cup of his guest poured the remainder into his own at an age worthy stranger he said when the blood grows colder and the feelings heavier a moderate cup of wine brings back light thoughts and makes the limbs supple yet i almost wish that noah had never planted the grape when of late years i have seen with my own eyes my countrymen swill wine like very germans till they were like gorged swine incapable of sense thought or motion it is a vice said the englishman which i have observed gains ground in your country where within a century i have heard it was totally unknown it was so said the swiss for wine was seldom made at home and never imported from abroad for indeed none possessed the means of purchasing that or aught else which our valleys produced not but our wars and our victories have gained us wealth as well as fame and in the poor thoughts of one switzer at least we had been better without both had we not also gained liberty by the same exertion it is something however that commerce may occasionally send into our remote mountains a sensible visitor like yourself worthy guest whose discourse shows him to be a man of sagacity and discernment for though i love not the increasing taste for trinkets and gewgaws which you merchants introduce yet i acknowledge that we simple mountaineers learn from men like you 
more of the world around us than we could acquire by our own exertions you are bound you say to bail and thence to the duke of burgundy's leaguer i am so my worthy host said the merchant that is providing i can perform my journey with safety your safety good friend may be assured if you list to tarry for two or three days for in that space i shall myself take the journey and with such an escort as will prevent any risk of danger you will find in me a sure and faithful guide and i shall learn from you much of other countries which it concerns me to know better than i do is it a bargain the proposal is too much to my advantage to be refused said the englishman but may i ask the purpose of your journey i should yonder boy but now answered biederman for speaking on public affairs without reflection and before the whole family but our tidings and my errand need not be concealed from a considerate person like you who must indeed soon learn it from public rumour you know doubtless the mutual hatred which subsists between louis the eleventh of france and charles of burgundy whom men call the bold and having seen these countries as i understand from your former discourse you are probably well aware of the various contending interests which besides the personal hatred of the sovereigns make them irreconcilable enemies now louis whom the world cannot match for craft and subtlety is using all his influence by distributions of large sums amongst some of the councillors of our neighbours of Bern, by pouring treasures into the exchequer of that state itself by holding out the bait of emolument to the old men and encouraging the violence of the young to urge the bernese into a war with the duke charles on the other hand is acting as he frequently does exactly as louis could have wished our neighbours and allies of burn do not like us of the forest cantons confine themselves to pasture or agriculture but carry on considerable commerce which the duke of burgundy has in various instances interrupted by the exactions and violence of his officers in the frontier towns as is doubtless well known to you unquestionably answered the merchant they are universally regarded as vexatious you will not then be surprised that solicited by the one sovereign and aggrieved by the other proud of past victories and ambitious of additional power burn and the city cantons of our confederacy whose representatives from their superior wealth and better education have more to say in our diet than we of the forests should be bent upon war from which it has hitherto happened that the republic has always derived victory wealth and increase of territory i worthy host and of glory said philipson interrupting him with some enthusiasm i wonder not that the brave youths of your states are willing to thrust themselves upon new wars since their past victories have been so brilliant and so far famed you are no wise merchant kind guest answered the host 
if you regard success in former desperate undertakings as an encouragement to future rashness let us make a better use of past victories when we fought for our liberties god blessed our arms but will he do so if we fight either for aggrandizement or for the gold of france your doubt is just said the merchant more sedately but suppose you draw the sword to put an end to the vexatious exactions of burgundy hear me good friend answered the switzer it may be that we of the forest cantons think too little of those matters of trade which so much engross the attention of the burghers of bern yet we will not desert our neighbours and allies in a just quarrel and it is well nigh settled that a deputation shall be sent to the duke of burgundy to request redress in this embassy the general diet now assembled at bern have requested that i should take some share and hence the journey in which i propose that you should accompany me it will be much to my satisfaction to travel in your company worthy host said the englishman but as i am a true man methinks your port and figure resemble an envoy of defiance rather than a messenger of peace and i too might say replied the switzer that your language and sentiments my honoured guest rather belong to the sword than the measuring wand i was bred to the sword worthy sir before i took the cloth-yard in my hand replied philipson smiling and it may be i am still more partial to my old trade than wisdom would altogether recommend i thought so said arnold but then you fought most likely under your country's banners against a foreign and national enemy and in that case i will admit that war has something in it which elevates the heart above the due sense it should entertain of the calamity inflicted and endured by god's creatures on each side but the warfare in which i was engaged had no such gilding it was the miserable war of zurich where switzers levelled their pikes against the bosoms of their own countrymen and quarter was asked and refused in the same kindly mountain language from such remembrances your warlike recollections are probably free the merchant hung down his head and pressed his forehead with his hand as one to whom the most painful thoughts were suddenly recalled alas he said i deserve to feel the pain which your words inflict what nation can know the woes of england that has not felt them what eye can estimate them which has not seen a land torn and bleeding with the strife of two desperate factions battles fought in every province plains heaped with slain and scaffolds drenched in blood even in your quiet valleys methinks you may have heard of the civil wars of england i do indeed bethink me said the switzer that england had lost her possessions in france during many years of bloody internal wars concerning the colour of a rose was it not but these are ended for the present answered philipson it would seem so as he spoke there was a knock at the door 
the master of the house said come in the door opened and with the reverence which was expected from young persons towards their elders in these pastoral regions the fine form of anne of geierstein presented itself End of chapter three